0: Well, happy Father's Day, Village Church. You can say that back to me because I am a dad. (laughs) I'll take it. Well, anytime our culture celebrates something that God's word celebrates, we're going to take a moment and we're going to highlight that together. And so dads, second to God, you are the most influential person in your children's life. And the single greatest decision a dad can make is to personally Trust in Jesus, period. And when you made that decision to trust in Jesus, he forgave you of all of your sins. He, he also began the process of healing you, probably from some of your dad wounds or grandfather wounds and generational sin in your life. He, he wants your children to be healed from our imperfections and struggles. To date, I've yet to meet a perfect dad. We struggle with sin. All the more do we need the blood of Jesus to forgive us and the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage us to really be the men that he's continually calling us to be with our families at work and beyond. He has given each one of us his Holy Spirit who is powerfully at work in every one of us. Sometimes, wives, you don't always see it, but here's what I know. If your husband has trusted in Jesus Christ, kids, if your dad has trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit is at work in his life, and that is what you want him to be doing. How many of you want to be the Holy Spirit in someone's life right now? Most of you. Three of you raise your hands. The rest of you are liars. There we go. (laughs) I love that when, um, when we trusted in Christ, one of the most beautiful things that God did for us is that he reconciled us back to God the Father. And that because of sin, our relationship with God was objectively broken. We were the pro- prodigals who had run far and away, and the Lord hunted us down and forgave us. I want to I read to you just a text of Scripture. It's one of the last verses in the entire Old Testament. And it talks about a prophecy that uh, there are going to be some things that happen in and around the ministry of the coming Messiah. Here's what it says. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So dads, my prayer for you is that your hearts would be continually toward your children as the overflow of what God, by his spirit and his word and your salvation, is doing in your life. And so if you're a kid, I don't care if you're an adult, if you're older, if you're young, it doesn't matter. Um, may today be a day if your dad is still with you that you are able to use your words to encourage and to honor and lift up. Maybe, Maybe you're in a situation where your dad has passed and you miss him dearly. May this be a day where you can go before the Lord and thank him. I also know there's many people who have broken relationships with their fathers, and there is a soul-crushing reality that we experience when our relationship with our earthly father is broken, and my encouragement to you is to go before the Lord because if you have a broken relationship with your earthly father, Your heavenly Father has never let you down, nor will he ever, and he loves you dearly. So I wanna do is I wanna just take a moment, and I want to pray for those of you who are dads in this room. If you're sitting next to somebody, and you, first of all, know them, and know they're a dad, would you just kind of put your hand on their shoulders? If you're comfortable, you can hold their hand. Uh, If there's no one around you, you don't have to get up and do anything. If you don't know the person next to you, do not touch them. Fair enough? Amen? (laughs) Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the sacred calling to be a dad. It is a great joy. I count it a privilege to raise two daughters and a son. And my deepest heart's desire for them is that they would, they would know you and love you and devote their entire lives to building your kingdom no matter what the cost. And so God, I, that is our heart's desire. I pray for each one of the dads in this room. May you continually work in our hearts to make us more like Jesus. May you remind us of the power of the blood of Christ to forgive us of all of our sins and struggles. May you continue, continually in, empower us to use the power of the Holy Spirit and our will to say no to sin and yes to To turning our hearts towards our children. May you encourage us. I pray, God, today would be a day where um, kids all over this church and community would be building up and loving and encouraging their dads. One thing I know about dads is we pour our hearts and our souls and our life and our energy and our bodies out for our kids. And so, God, may this be a, a day where we honor, remember, and Lord, I also know that you are good and you are near to the brokenhearted. You are near to those who have a broken relationship and they don't know what to do with that. Would you give them wisdom for a next step? You are near to those who have lost their dads who is their hero and they love and they just wanna see them again. You are near to the brokenhearted. so I just thank you for your presence. And Lord, for most, this is a day of celebration. For some, it's a day of pain. But in all, we run to you in joy or in heartache and we bring you glory. Would you continually at Village Church raise up men who are leaders, providers, and protectors for the glory of God in their homes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Well, if you've been around Village for a while, you, you know that we typically don't preach Mother's Day sermons or Father's Day sermons. We are typically preaching through books of the Bible. And it is just like the Lord, that every time there is a Mother's Day message, we're teaching on the anger of God, the wrath of God, the discipline of God, something of the sorts. And so um, today, it's just kind of funny. This is like the opposite message you should ever preach on Father's Day. So if you're new to Village Church, welcome. And I want to open up with a question. When is the last time you talked with someone who was obstinate? Do not kick your spouse (laughs) right now. Pretty please. A few of you might be wondering what does the word obstinate mean? I can't answer that till I know it. So here is here's the definition of obstinate: stubbornly adhering to an attitude, opinion, or course of action. You knew they were wrong. They knew they were wrong, and they just wouldn't admit it. Raise your hand if you've ever been obstinate. So whatever you see in this passage of Scripture, you take that accusational finger and you point it right back at yourself. Because I don't care who you are. This is a very real possibility for non-Christians and for Christians to have this spirit an attitude. In fact, obstinance is incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous because at its core, it's an expression of pride. One time in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament. Here's what the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And most of us in this room know for a season or a time what it feels like to have the opposing God hand of God on your life. He will block you. He will limit your fruit. He will strain your relationships. And you know that your obstinance is getting bad when you're not just obstinate at home, because that's easy. But when you're obstinate at work or with your friends or at your church, you know that it's gone to a next level. Now, in in the book of John, the Pharisees They are the literal definition of obstinance. Like if you opened a dictionary that had pictures, their pictures should be right there. And what you're gonna watch in this series of Jesus versus evil is you're watching the Pharisees who are really the personification of evil in Jesus's life. They are being given over to their sin and you are gonna see their pride and their obstinance and it is going to irritate you. So open up your Bibles with me to John chapter nine. So in this message, I wanna show you obstinance in action, And as you watch the Pharisees' obstinance, uh, for some of us in this room, it's sort of going to feel like a mirror. And I want the Holy Spirit to reveal obstinance in your heart if it's there. And lastly, what I want to do is throughout this, I want to equip you with really practical principles as you deal with people in your life who are were obstinate. Now by the time we get to the book of John, chapter nine, a lot has gone on. They're in the, they're in the middle of one of their holiest feasts and festivals. It's called the uh, it's called Tabernacles, or the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a big deal. It's sort of like their Thanksgiving. And so there are a number of traditions. And what's happened twice already in one of the holiest days or weeks of the year is that Jesus has publicly hijacked two of their most important traditions and celebrations. And the Pharisees are 10 out of 10 angry at Jesus, and they want him dead. Now, we've known they've wanted him dead, but all the events of John 7, 8, and 9, they doubly want this guy murdered. So what they've done is they've created um, a whole bunch of laws, and they are trying to justify killing Jesus because he broke one of their made-up laws. And so here's one of their made-up laws. If you heal somebody on the Sabbath, then we should be able to put you to death. That sounds ridiculous. So Jesus has already healed somebody on the Sabbath earlier. They're very angry. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus strikes again. He doubles down, and now he heals another man on the Sabbath. That's John chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Next week, we're going to deal with that. But today, we're going to start in John chapter 9, verse th- 13. Verse 13 starts off with the word, they and they are the blind man's neighbors. The blind man is the one Jesus just healed. They are his neighbors. And it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Now, honestly, I think Jesus is utterly inspiring because he will not be controlled by their social coercion. But what I want you to do is I want you to look at this from Jesus' perspective. It would be sin for Jesus to not do good to somebody just because it was the day of the week. Now, I want to give you an illustration. I want you to imagine you see somebody who is drowning and dying. And you look at them and you say to yourself, I can't help you. It's Tuesday. My religion forbids me from helping somebody because it's Tuesday. Would that be sin for you? Yes. If your religion prevents you from doing good on a certain day of the week and changing somebody's life or saving their life, your religion is utterly flawed and useless. And so here's what Jesus knows. Their religion, it's utterly useless right now because it doesn't even allow him to do a basic good thing just because it's a Sabbath or a day of the week. In fact, if Jesus didn't heal this person, Jesus himself would be in sin because to know what you should do to do good and to not do it in that moment would be wrong. And so Jesus antagonizes these people, not not because he's doing anything on purpose, but by just being faithful, by just seeing the need in front of him and healing somebody and changing their life by being the king, the God that he is. So Church... Might it be said of you, if there are a whole bunch of people that you're antagonizing, that you are antagonizing them because you are doing the right thing in the right way to serve someone else. If, if, if somebody says to me, I can't stand that person, they're always doing good. Praise God, keep it up, antagonize away. Verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked, asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed And I see, look at the word again. This formerly blind man had already told them the entire story. What you're going to see later in the chapter is that this formerly blind man is irritated. He is exasperated. And so you have to kind of read that tone into everything that he is saying. And so what's going to happen now is the Pharisees, they hear him again And they're going to start debating amongst themselves, but I need you to remember this. As they're debating, the blind man is hearing everything. In verse 16, it says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. True or false, by the way? False. There is nothing in Old Testament law that says you cannot do good or heal a person on the Sabbath. That does not exist in any way, shape, or form. It's a made-up law that they made up so they can control people. Thankfully, some of the Pharisees have not lost their minds. They still have some logic left. Verse 16 goes on. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such things? Like, if he was actually a sinner, then why would God give him his power to do things that only God could do? Like, they're using their logic. Like, if God hates Jesus, then why did God give Jesus the power to do profoundly incredible things? So there was a division among them. One group of Pharisees, they're using basic logic. And the obstinate Pharisees, what do you think they think of logic? Not so much. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Duh. Can't you see? So as we move through this text, I want to share with you some principles about obstinate people. And here's the first. Obstinate hearts double down even in the face of evidence. This irrationality is one of the first symptoms that your heart is moving down the route of pride and obstinance. Look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. This formerly blind man knows that they think he's lying. Here's what I think the blind man is thinking. So you don't know my face? I have been living my entire life around this temple You have walked past me day in and day out for decades. And you don't recognize my face? Now, honestly, I think he's like a little offended. Because there's no world where they don't know who this guy is or shouldn't know who he is if they have an ounce of a soul. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until... They had to call the parents of the man who had received his sight and ask them, "Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see?" Do you hear the skepticism? They, the, the, almost the, the derogatory tone here. His parents answered, "We know. That, <laughs> this is funny. We know that this is our son. Gave birth to him, blind when he came out, struggled with it our whole life. It's been a pretty big challenge in our home. I don't know about you guys, but pretty confident this is this is him." We know that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He's an adult. He will speak for himself. Verse 22 actually tells us that the parents were basically lying. They were not lying that they were his parents. They were not lying that he'd been born blind. They were lying about who they knew healed him. Look at verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Let me share with you another principle about obstinate people. Obstinate people, if they don't repent, quickly become unsafe. Sometimes you don't know what they will do or even what they're capable of. And if they have social, political, familial, or positional power over you, you can only navigate them and hope to mitigate the damage. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. For some of you, I'm just going to take a moment, and here's what's happening you're saying, or maybe the Holy Spirit is testifying in your heart, oh no, that's me. And if that's the case, you're going to be really tempted from this point on to distract yourself. Don't. There is nothing the Holy Spirit or the Word of God wants to do in you that is not for your good and your joy in your life. Look at verse 24. Stick with me. Don't quench the spirit. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. First of all, propaganda. Secondly, he is literally the blind man giving glory to God. His name is Jesus. Blind, obstinate. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. Not my problem. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Tell us the process. What exactly? Did he call on the devil himself? Like, where does this power really come from? This formerly blind man is now at his wit's end. And he answered, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And scholars are almost unanimous that this next phrase is biting sarcasm. Do you also want to become his disciples? Is that why you're curious? Would you like more information about Jesus? Would you like to follow him? Obstinate people are exhausting. I'm going to pause. I'm going to say the obvious. Some of you here are in the middle of obstinance. And here's what your obstinance is going to do. You're going to go home. And you're going to look at your spouse or your children or your parents. And you're going to say, what, am I exhausting to you? Yes, you are. Repent. Stop it. Because obstinate people, if you keep digging in, you become irrational. Basic truth, evidence, logic, you can't be dealt with. We want to deal, but we can't if your heart resists reality. And that's what obstinance does. Verse 28, true to form. They turn on him. They reviled him. Saying, "You are his disciple." We knew it. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. So let's remind ourselves of the evidence so far. Each of these Pharisees have received multiple points of validation and verification of the origin and source of Jesus of Nazareth. Let me just go through them from the least convincing to the most convincing. Here's the least convincing. Jesus testified about himself that he was from heaven and that he was the Father's beloved son. Now, if that was it, you'd be right to say, I think Jesus is crazy because anybody can just claim to be God or to be God's son. But if that was all there is, then legitimately they should be, I don't know, skeptical. But here's what happens next. John the Baptist, who is a man the Pharisees deeply respected until he aligned with Jesus, testified, no, this really is the son of God, the lamb of God from heaven here for us. Well, that wasn't enough. Next, Jesus perfectly fulfilled every prophecy. And they knew this. They know where he was born. They know the story of Mary and Joseph. They have the census information. They get all of this. In fact, as they're probably going through the scriptures and trying to find all the prophecies about the Messiah, they know that Jesus meets all of them. Okay, fine. Maybe, maybe that's a coincidence. He has performed supernatural miracle after supernatural miracle literally in their presence. Some of these Pharisees themselves have seen it to the point where they are saying, nobody but God could do this. And they're trying to make sense of, how can an evil person that hates God be given the power of God? They don't know what to do with this quandary. Now, here's the simple resolution. He actually is God. He's not evil. And the reason he has the power of God is because he is God. I mean, that would be obvious, but that takes logic. Most convincingly, I think, though, is that, you remember when Jesus was baptized at the Jordan River, multitudes of the Jews are there, and a voice from heaven miraculously speaks about Jesus, and the crowds hear it. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I'm sorry. The preponderance of evidence leads me to one conclusion. If any of this is true, let alone all of it, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, period. But if your heart is obstinate, Basic, logic, facts, truth, and reality, if they are an inconvenience to your obstinate agenda, they don't matter at all. Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where it comes from? And yet he opened my eyes? Let's just do a little bit of like math here. Supernatural miracle from God heals a blind man. Who could it be from? Hmm. For we know, verse 31, that God does not listen to sinners, so he's using their logic. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So if God is listening to him, and when he calls on God to heal a blind person, and God responds, well, then logic deduces that he is a worshiper. He is good with God. They're simpatico. They're on the same page. And then he uses irrefutable logic to make his point. Never since the beginning, never since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. What you're watching is the first time in recorded history this has ever happened. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The last reality about obstinate people, honestly, is the hardest. An obstinate person will turn on you even in the face of irrefutable evidence. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him functionally, publicly shamed him, ruined him. They just cannot be wrong they won't be wrong but let's be honest do you think that this formerly blind man at this point cares at all that these evil people kicked him out of their club nope this formerly blind man would happily take jesus over these evil spiritual leaders Three us so what's for you number one To the victims of obstinate people, Jesus is with you. And this is not a small truth, and it is not a cliche. You see in scripture that Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. But I want you to watch what Jesus does. This whole series of events happens. This guy is kicked out of church effectively. He is being publicly shamed for affiliating with Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he runs after the guy. He goes back, knowing these people are looking to kill him, knowing he just healed this guy, and he goes to find this person. And he says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And, and the Son of Man is an Old Testament reference in the book of Daniel specifically that references the Messiah who's going to be the, basically the king of the world. It's a big title. And he answers and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's interesting that these Pharisees, in their self-delusion and self-righteousness, are just obstinate. And what do they receive? The opposing hand of God. And who does Jesus run after and offer grace, help, clarity to? The cast out, The broken. Jesus says to him in verse 37, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Verse 38, He said, The blind man, Lord, I believe. And He worshiped him. Here's the amazing part this conversation between Jesus and the blind man. This whole interaction, it's happening in the visual and audible presence of the Pharisees. This guy gets on his knees and worships, gives to Jesus what is only God's in the presence of all of these people. So what number two, to the obstinate. Own your guilt now before God disciplines you later. Look at verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, heard the conversation between the blind man and Jesus, and said to him, they chime in as as they have the conversation. The guy is on his knees worshiping Jesus. They say to Jesus, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, he's so funny, by the way, if you just appreciate the moment. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. Like If you couldn't see, I can't hold you responsible for seeing what you're unable to see. But now that you say, we see, we're so smart, we know the law, we know the prophecies, we know all of it, your guilt remains. You're guilty because you knew the truth, you see the evidence, you knew better, but you chose obstinance, you chose pride and received the opposing hand of God as as opposed to being humble and believing what the irrefutable evidence points to. Own your guilt now before God disciplines you later. There's there's two sides of this coin. First is for the Christian. Christians have the ability to be obstinate. Again, we're all here. We all know what we're capable of. We all know ourselves in our worst moments. God loves his kids, and he disciplines his kids whom he loves. And the Lord will let us rebel for a time until he intervenes. Correct? We know this. And all, all I have to say to you is you have the Holy Spirit. You do not need to wait for God to discipline you. You have the ability to humble yourself. And that probably means you need to own a couple things and apologize to some people in your life. If you are not a Christian, the judgment that waits for you is hell. But God is willing in this moment to give you real grace. He is willing to forgive you of all of your sins. There is not one Pharisee who could not have turned in this moment and asked for forgiveness, and Jesus wouldn't have given it to them. If he can forgive these kinds of people, if he can forgive the apostle Paul who sought to murder him also, doggone it, whatever you have done, he, by the blood, by his blood, has the power to forgive you. Run to Christ. Number three. To those engaging, obstinate people, know your role and know your limits. I'm going to say this again. You are not the Holy Spirit. Amen? we Sure? Some of us think that our biting words, our meanness, our anger, and our emotions are going to accomplish the righteousness that God desires. I mean, the scriptures actually say the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness that God desires. That's not how it's done. It gets behavior modification temporarily and that is it. What you want for the obstinate person is heart change. And I, I have found that there are two circumstances, generally sp- speaking, that break through the obstinate person's heart. Here's number one. The relational pain of obstinance brings people to their knees in Repentance. Unfortunately, the greater the, the the deeper the level of obstinance, the worse the pain needs to become for somebody to really actually run to Jesus and make things right with people in their life. Unfortunately. This is where if you're in that situation, you need actual counsel and help from wise godly people to help you navigate these circumstances. Don't ever do that alone. But number 2, Obstinance breaks when the Holy Spirit breaks the person and brings them to their knees in repentance. There are gonna be times in your life where you just watch somebody you love and you see that obstinate, prideful spirit and all you can do is pray. And sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit kind of intrudes and invades early. Sometimes people have to go really, really deep until the Holy Spirit breaks through. But, But here's the deal. You actually don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit to wreck you to repent of your obstinance. You can do that now. Isn't that a crazy thought? You don't need him to discipline you and ruin you. You can actually turn now. And if you're not a Christian, you have right now the ability to turn to God and to trust in Christ. And I'm gonna encourage you, do that. Repent of your obstinance and whatever else you are seeing that is causing you and God to be broken, your sin. Repent, apologize, own it. Do you believe today that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead? Do you want him to forgive you? Do you want to be reconciled to your heavenly father? All you have to do is confess. Confess Jesus is your God. Confess he died on the cross for your sins and ask him to save you. And the promise of God is you will be forgiven. Will you struggle with sin the rest of your life? For sure. Will you wrestle with obstinance the rest of your life to some degree or another? 100%. But will you be reconciled to your heavenly father if you trust in Christ? Absolutely. Will you be given the Holy Spirit to help you? Absolutely. Will you be given, God willing, loving church community and family to support you and sometimes to correct you? Yes. What a joy. Now, if you're a believer you have the Holy Spirit. You might have quenched the voice of the Holy Spirit so deep that you can't barely hear it, but there is never a moment that a true Christian cannot respond and humble themselves and receive the grace of God and to begin to make some of the relationships that you broke right. Isn't this a weird Father's Day message, by the way? <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna take a moment here at the, uh, at the end of this message, and I wanna just take a moment, I wanna pray for you and at the end of every service i always ask the same question but i want you to be thinking about this now i ask the question what is your next step what is the thing that the lord is asking you to do next and and the holy spirit is probably this is just my experience with people and him is that he's probably going to put something really measurable and clear that scares you it's okay always follow the leading of the spirit and the word of god you will not be led astray And it might be painful, but it is good and it is right. A little pain now can save you from an excruciating pain later. Amen? So as you're thinking about this, as we pray together, what is the next step that the Holy Spirit is putting into your heart? Let's pray. Father, um, I am so thankful for the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the people of God. I'm so thankful that you inspired the book of John and Lord, if we're really being honest, when we look at the Pharisees, we're just, we're there. We are capable of what they do. We'd like to think that we would never get to that point, but Lord, we also probably don't know what it's like to not have your spirit without legal restraints and social restraints. They lived in a context that actually permitted this stuff. And so, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for truly healing our spiritual blindness, giving us eyes to see, showing us the beauty and light of life that is in Christ. Lord, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters, young and old. If there is an obstinate spirit in us, would you give us the power and the courage to take whatever next step that you have for us? Would you just make it clear? Lord, your spirit is in us and you speak. Lord, maybe there's a scripture that you are bringing to mind that is true and that reflects what's going on in our own hearts and that that next step. But Lord, we want to bring you glory every step of the way and we want to be faithful. And we confess when we're obstinate, it's our fault. We don't get to blame anyone else. But we also confess that you offer forgiveness and healing and hope through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you, and it is our joy now to lift our voices and worship you. And we do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.